complementary medicine and the sceptics are putting mm. their oar in. Look, uh, that's uh, happening. And recently, um, an article even occurred in our local newspaper uh, talking about the way in which a Skeptics Association has seemingly lampooned the teaching of what we call complementary medicine at a university level, uh, saying that complementary medicine is not scientific and therefore shouldn't be taught in a university where scientific medicine uh, has been emphasised, and rightly so. I want to look at that and challenge that very trenchant viewpoint, and we'll look at it during the program. To a new RFM's health naturally. Complementary medicine, mm. it's probably, Dennis Stewart, a, a good idea just to take a look at what it is again. A very good question, Jane. The term complementary medicine is a relatively modern term, and it's a term that's used to describe a whole range of modalities that, if you like, have not been part of mainstream medicine. We might say, for instance, that a modality such as acupuncture, a modality such as osteopathy, a modality such as naturopathy or herbal medicine, they are part of a spectrum um, that goes under the umbrella of complementary therapies. Uh, they are considered to be useful. They're accessed increasingly by the public. And what they seek to do is fill some of the gaps which we believe exists by just emphasising, how can you call it, one system of medicine, that is the mainstream system, great and wonderful as it is, the contention of complementary medicine is that there are other therapies that have a role to play in addressing some aspects of disease that perhaps the mainstream system is not well managing. So the term complementary therapies is an umbrella term used to embrace what used to be called unorthodox uh, therapies. It's more orthodox today, and in fact there are textbooks existing now talking about complementary medicine. Unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, despite the fact that complementary medicine is being increasingly written about and indeed utilised, there is still a considerable amount of doubt and reaction against the existence of complementary medicine uh, to the extent that certain sceptics groups uh, will point the finger at any practice or teaching of complementary medicine, arguing that this goes against the scientific basis of medicine. Now, of course, as a practitioner of complementary medicine myself, uh, particularly herbal medicine, I very strongly challenge this and say that there is a sound basis for regarding complementary medicine as something that has a right to exist and that complementary medicine, whilst it does have, if you like, uh, some deficiencies associated with it, works, is out there, the public are accessing it, government has recognised it to a degree, I have said it before, it is here, it is here to stay, and the fact that universities and colleges are now taking it on board uh, to teach it, to make the students aware of it, is an indication of the way in which complementary medicine has been accepted largely uh, by the public. My, my contention is that in a, a society where most people are using complementary medicine to some degree, that is, they might be seeing a masseur, uh, they might be seeing a chiropractor, they might be seeing an acupuncturist. My belief is that 
where the public are accessing these modalities, uh, students of medicine, students of nursing, should at least be aware of what complementary medicine is about. Uh, they should be aware of the way in which public, the public is accessing it, and they should be aware of what the modalities comprising complementary medicine are all about. Uh, what I find increasingly, Jane, in practice is that you will still get patients presenting who will say that um, uh, the nurse that they were talking to had little understanding of why they were using aspects of complementary medicine, why when they mentioned it to their doctor, the doctor showed a degree of ignorance in understanding what they were doing by using uh, complementary medicine, not necessarily objecting to it, but not really aware of the modalities, how they purport to work, what they can mainly treat, and things to be understood by the mainstream therapist. So to my point of view, or my point of view is, regardless of, of what we think, these modalities which are now part of uh, health care should be at least taught in medical and nursing and other health faculties so that graduating practitioners have a handle, if you like to use the term, on what these modalities are all about. You can argue about the basis for them, the science associated with them, but at the end of the day, complementary medicine is there in society and it should be taught, in my opinion, in healthcare faculties so at least graduates in any aspect of healthcare are at least aware of what their clients and patients are likely to be using and rather than show ignorance, show understanding and at times even give caution and at times even give encouragement. This is where I think the debate may have got a little bit off the road. It's not trying to justify, if you like, the basis of complementary medicine, the scientific or otherwise basis to it. It's trying to justify the teaching of it so that graduates have an understanding of what complementary medicine is all about. And Health Naturally on to a new RFM. We are looking at the spectrum of therapies and also uh, uh, complementary medicine, how it might fit in. Now, a lot of the uh, basis of the arguments of the sceptics' arguments, Dennis Stewart, seem to be that uh, there is no scientific basis for it. And uh, would you like to respond to that? Look, I would. And I will stick to my own modality uh, to... Um, give my point of view on this. For instance, to say that the practice of herbal medicine uh, shouldn't be uh, supported by government and shouldn't be taught in a, in a university or, or a, a college uh, because it is uh, unscientific flies in the face of the fact that using herbal medicine as an example, uh, herbal medicine is very, very well documented and increasingly shown to have a scientific basis. Um, it worries me that things like, for instance, phytochemistry, which is a term that's used to describe the chemical nature or definition of a herb, phytochemistry is one of the greatest defences of the use and credibility of modern herbal medicine. Phytochemistry is a scientific discipline. These days, using my modality as an example, 
uh, we use increasingly phytochemistry to justify the historic use of a herb in treating particular diseases. Now, I'm the first to admit, Jane, the first to admit that not always, not always is it possible to explain using a rigorous and uh, exclusive scientific definition, not always is it possible to explain the benefits that are made, uh, say, in herbal medicine, and I suggest that this exists also in other complementary therapies. But you cannot, you cannot ignore the whole historic use, say, of a herb over so many thousands of years, the way in which it has developed a reputation over thousands of years, which is still shown uh, to be capable of being justified today in clinical practice. We talk about, in herbal medicine, as would many other modalities, we talk about the empirical basis for using herbs, that is, the way in which over many thousands of years, certainly over many hundreds of years, a traditional use of the plant has developed, which over and over again has justified its use in the treating of disease and that whilst there may be a deficiency from defining the action of the herb on a phytochemical basis, the fact that that herb has been in action for thousands of years and successfully being used today to treat the same disease, we would argue that in itself is one of the greatest justifications for the herb to be taken seriously and for its benefits in modern society, society even to be recognised and taught in healthcare faculties. Uh, Jamal, you've got a question for Dennis Stewart today. Hi, Dennis. Hello, Jamal. Um, yeah, I've, uh, I just feel I'm aware of, uh, it's like a propaganda of war against like pharmaceutical and herbal. Um, all the negative feedback I've got with... Um, alternative different things um yeah it doesn't come back as a positive with your your doctor or your practitioner mm-hmm. um a friend of mine who studied herbal medicine for years and um went into pharmaceutical and is now a chemist um, i see him they're more influenced with the pharmaceutical side of things these days and i believe that it could have a bit to do with the handouts that pharmaceutical companies give um, which you'd never get in a herbal atmosphere. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Look, my, my, my response to that, Jamal, I, I know where you're coming from and I regularly um, have patients who present who talk about a, a disappointing encounter that they may have had with their healthcare practitioner, whether it be a doctor or a pharmacist, uh, sometimes even being scolded uh, by their uh, doctor or other healthcare practitioner or using, if you like, aspects of complementary medicine. That worries me because it comes back to the point that I was saying earlier. I think a large amount of this arises from ignorance and perhaps embarrassment on the part of these primary healthcare practitioners about uh, complementary medicine, uh, the way it works and the value of it. I would say, however, and I must be honest here, I would say, however, that things have changed dramatically uh, in the 40 years in which I've been practicing uh, herbal medicine as a a complementary modality. Things have changed dramatically, and and they've changed this way, Jamal. For instance, 
Um, I just graduated a medical practitioner uh, in, a, in a postgraduate uh, program in herbal medicine. Now, that practitioner has been one of my most enthusiastic uh, students and will go on to be very knowledgeable general practitioner, as he is presently, uh, with an understanding of complementary medicine uh, that he'll be able to discuss or she'll be able to discuss with uh, his or her patients from a knowledgeable perspective and even perhaps use aspects of it in his or her practice. Th so um, things have changed in as much that there is uh, a movement even on the part of those practising medicine to get a grip on it. It might interest you to know that uh, 20, 25 years ago, um, I taught a group of pharmacists um, a postgraduate program here in Newcastle, and many went. Many of the group, I think there were about 20 in the group, this is going back well, just after the earthquake when I'd moved my rooms to, to Broadmeadow, we had a group of about 20 pharmacists, and they were some of the most eager students that I've ever taught, and some of them went on to embrace herbal medicine and use it in the context of their pharmacy. So whilst I understand where you're coming from, I don't think all is doom and gloom, and I think we have to be a little bit cautious about uh, jumping to uh, conspiracy theories. Uh, I'm not convinced that everything uh, is, is bad, and I'm not convinced that industry uh, influences uh, medicine uh, in, any, in any serious uh, conspiratorial way. Um, uh, herbal medicine practitioners, naturopaths and others, we all go to conferences and we all have representatives coming to our practices who may along the way um, give uh, handouts by the way of uh, knowledgeable brochures, uh, sample products, etc. I don't think there's anything the matter with that. So I'm one of the greatest offenders, as you would know, of complementary medicine, particularly my own modality, herbal medicine. I'm very encouraged today, as, as on, on the verge, if you like, of jumping ship, I'm very encouraged today and the way in which attitudes have changed, even though we started the program today talking about a recent assault by a Skeptics Association on a university for embracing and teaching complementary medicine, I don't think that that's going to in any way stop what is already happening, the embracing of complementary medicine as part of the healthcare system. Thanks for your call, Jamal. And Rhonda has rung in from Lake Munmora. Rhonda, your question is about alternative medicines you'd like to ask Dennis. No, good afternoon. Uh, what I want to do is confirm with Dennis that alternative medicine used with the help of the um, pharmaceutical um, medicine does work. As my grandmother was bedridden in Scotland, they were told to move out here. She went to a, a bio, they were called biochemists in those days, and um, she went to him and he um, confirmed to her that he would never cure her of her arthritis but he would help shift it and after 12 months she was walking um, unassisted without any um, walking sticks whatsoever and she lived to a ripe old um, age of 86 and never never used the sticks after 12 months and I do also use um, alternative medicines with my um, uh, GP so I am a great believer in the alternative as well as the practical. 
Oh, that's that's they're very good comments, Rhonda, and they they are very balanced comments. What you have done there is show the way in which your your dear mother, in dire straits, accessed uh, complementary medicine in this case biochemic therapy, at a time when it was probably not as popular as it is today. But she took the initiative because she was in distress. The mainstream seemingly was unable to help her, and she accessed a harmless system of therapy known as biochemic therapy, which was very popular uh, some time ago, and she got better. Now, that in itself, that in itself is one of the greatest justifications for the existence of what you've called alternative medicine and what I call complementary medicine. That is, in the society, in the community, there are people by the dozens who can give similar stories how having exhausted the benefits, and there are many benefits, having exhausted the benefits of the mainstream, they then accessed an aspect of alternative or complementary medicine and had great benefit. And uh, the sort of testimony that you've made is a testimony that uh, should be written up as it is written up. Certainly when I I write my book, which is already in, in motion, I'll be talking about similar episodes of people in distress uh, with no hope given uh, by the mainstream for their condition turning to alternative medicine and getting great benefit and you are very balanced in pointing out it's not a matter of either or i will say later on in in a few moments that in our modern western society mainstream uh, medical practice with the general practitioner at its spearhead is the basis and foundation of our health care and we should not in any way at all assault that or attack it. What we need to appreciate, however, is that it has its limitations, as most medical practitioners would admit. And when those limitations are met by a patient, in my opinion, it's quite legitimate for that patient then to look elsewhere to get help, and that's where, from biochemic therapy through to herbal medicine, there are options that people utilise. My comment would be, however that we have to be very cautious as consumers of complementary medicine that uh, we go to credible, well-trained, ethical practitioners who have a good reputation, uh, a a very moral and ethical way of practising. Because as in all systems of medicine, uh, there are charlatans who take advantage of people's dire straits and sometimes people can get hurt when they go to the wrong doctor or to the wrong uh, alternative medical practitioner. And that is a very good point. Thank you, Rhonda. We've had a call from Pete. He's not on the line. He's from Salamander Bay, and he says that a Chinese, well, I suppose Chinese heritage, but Western-trained doctor that he used to visit in the 90s used to go back to China every three months to make sure he didn't forget their tradition, their medical tradition. Oh, I think that I think that's I think it's wonderful that that is happening, and we have to give great credit uh, to China, to Chinese medicine, which again is very well established and rooted in our uh, modern society today. Uh, acupuncture and the use of Chinese herbs is now very very strongly accessed by the community, and it arguably is one of the oldest systems of medicine in existence and has, in fact, a 2,000-year unbroken history of use. 
And it's right, it's right that a Chinese doctor trained in the Western model should want to access his own traditional system of medicine uh, and familiarise himself with it uh, to, to be brought up to speed with some of the advances that are happening in Chinese herbal medicine and then bring that knowledge back uh, to a country like Australia where as a medical practitioner he can utilise aspects of his Chinese herbal medicine training to enhance his skills. In fact, Jane, it's quite interesting. I remember going back to my early days of lecturing in Glebe on Friday nights. Now, this is going back to the late 70s, perhaps, when I first started uh, teaching a program part-time. One of my um, earliest students uh, was a Chinese doctor who had graduated from a well-known university in, in Sydney um, and was a registered general practitioner with already a, a very established practice. Uh, he came and sat under my teaching um, at, at what we call the professional level and became a member of the appropriate associations. But that uh, dear Chinese doctor is still a friend of mine. I could ring him and uh, he could, we could talk as if we were brothers. And he went on to study every program that I ever taught in order to keep familiarised with Western herbal medicine and the advances that it has taken over the 40 years of my teaching. So here again is an interesting case. By the way, uh, that, uh, that same dear Chinese friend of mine um, went on to study um, at an academic level at a major Sydney university, a program, a program in herbal medicine that was taught at that university at a master's level. So um, the, it's, it's, it's too late in the day for sceptics to say that these modalities are not credible, that they haven't got an acceptable basis. They've already been taught. Do you think general practitioners maybe aren't terribly aware of complementary medicine? Maybe they are. Look, I, I think um, they are. I have great great regard for general practitioners um, and this must have been picked up from my program um, I see them perhaps as being uh, the backbone of our system, the hard workers of our system who too frequently uh, are not given the credit for the great work that they do uh, in our society most general practitioners that I know and I know many work very, very hard and very long hours. And most of them that I've spoken to are interested uh, to know something about complementary therapy, even though many of them are bogged down in coping with a patient load that doesn't really lend itself to, to complementary medicine. Uh, as I said earlier in the program, only in the last couple of months, I graduated a medical practitioner who did a professional extension a diploma program in herbal medicine with me. Now, that practitioner uh, is a well-known practitioner, um, enthusiastic about complementary medicine. And look, I believe, in response to your question, that most general practitioners uh, have a fascination or an interest in it. Many of them, however, have not had the time uh, to be able to access a training. And it's unfortunate that some training programs now are not 
uh, how can you call it, as vigorously pursued at the university level as they were a number of years ago when on the Arimba campus and uh, on the Central Coast. This university was the first university that I'm aware of in Australia trying to run a bachelor's program in herbal therapies. And I was privileged to become the associate professor uh, for that course and had a lot to do with other academics from this university in setting up that program. I would like to see it re-established. And I certainly would like to see um, a postgraduate program for medical practitioners, even if they do not want to practice it, a postgraduate program to familiarise them with complementary medicine, the foundations of it, what each modality purports to do, where, for instance, they can make a recommendation to a patient to access complementary therapy where their own approach is not adequate to deal with the condition. Uh, now, look, I think, I think, and I'm confident, I'm confident that by the time I finally pull the plug, um, the enthusiasm that's there now that I pick up on, and I don't think I'm going over the top when I say that I see a lot of enthusiasm at the general practice level, I think we'll see a lot more of it. Christine from Mount Hutton has rung in. And, Christine, you've got a question about honey. Yes, Dennis. Um, I buy your honey, and I tell you what, there's nothing There's nothing that you would buy in the supermarkets, I feel, that would, would even come close to it. Thank you, um, Christine. That's lovely. Look, it, it's beautiful. No, it really is. I've been using it for ever so long. Yes. But it's candies, and I was just yes. wondering if you could explain to me why. It's purely to do with uh, temperature factors. Um, as the weather gets cooler, honey will um, lose its liquidity. You can okay. you can easily reverse that if you want, just by sitting the jar outside in the warm sunlight, yeah. or putting it in warm water. It's purely a matter of a chemical change that occurs due to coldness. Look at it this way: oh, if good. you if you leave water long enough in a cool environment, a freezing environment, it'll turn into ice. Similarly with honey, it won't turn into ice, but if you store it particularly in a cool place, the temperature factor will tend to make it less liquid, but that can easily be reversed, as I've said, by putting it in the warmth. Mind you, candied honey is quite nice in itself, isn't it? (laughs) The other thing, Christine, is this. When you see a honey that uh, candies, you know that you're using what's called dinky dye honey. In other words, it hasn't been processed, it hasn't been heated, it's not been uh, added with anything else. So it's always, to my way of thinking, a good sign of a genuine honey when you see that it has a propensity uh, to candy if left for any length of time in a cool environment. And, Dennis, uh, complementary medicine and alternative Mm, medicine. mm. Now, you said that they might be similar things in meaning, but they may have different meanings as well. Yes, look, when I started um, practice and teaching many years ago, um, the term alternative medicine was popularly used to describe these days what we call complementary medicine. I've come to the opinion that 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 term, if, if used in, a, in an okay way, is perhaps accurate. But as I've got older and more experienced, I'm, I'm of the opinion that that term is too exclusive. It implies that um, there is an alternative to what exists under all circumstances. 
And I worry about that because I've seen the consequences of people that have become ideologues, who've taken on board the term alternative medicine and have rejected, if you like, all the benefits of the mainstream and as a result have got themselves into trouble. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, my wife received a telephone call from a lady that I can vaguely remember that I treated on the Central Coast many, many years ago and my treatment basically was to rescue her from her home because she had been using a particular herbal concoction which had induced poisoning and mm. she was reluctant uh, to seek orthodox treatment. I heard about it and as a result of my going to her, I was able to facilitate her going to hospital, getting medical care and probably saving her life. Alternative medicine was used in those days perhaps in a more negative term, I prefer to see no one system as having all the answers, but I think the term complementary medicine is a better term in as much that it gives credit to the fact that in a modern Western society, mainstream medicine with its great advantages is the primary system that should be accessed wherever possible Complementary medicine should be seen as a component that comes into play when the mainstream has reached its limitations or where a practitioner wants his or her patient to use a modality that years ago would have been called alternative, as was herbal medicine, but which these days is better called complementary. It is, it is not as confront, con, con, confrontational to use the term complementary medicine and it is more accurate about how these modalities function in our society today. So as alternative could mean using this instead of yeah. and look, Western there, medicine. And, and, and there is, there is a, a perhaps a part to play there. Um, look at it this way, Jane. A, a patient that uh, presents to a medical practitioner, uh, say, with, a, with an eczema. Now... I know enough about what's called glycotinic acid, which is the active principle in licorice, and I know that that constituent has been the basis of topical applications that have a credible scientific phytochemical understanding. A general practitioner might decide to script the GA cream and get that patient to get it made up at a compounding pharmacy. So what would be referred to, in a sense here, is he's using, if you like, an alternative medicine to say a steroid cream uh, that in, its, in a sense justifies perhaps alternative in a better sense in other words here is an alternative to the mainstream protocol that a doctor would use uh, but in fact it can be practiced happily within the mainstream oh, a bit all over the place there <laughs> but we don't need to see that term um, how can you call it, in an ideological way? We always like mm. to change the terms just to better reflect the way we think, think about we things <laughs> as, as time and, goes on. And it might be the fact that as I've got very, very, very much older, <laughs> I have become less ideological <laughs> and, and, and left, uh, how can I call it, 
not more as pragmatic, f- perhaps. More pragmatic, more um, embraceive, perhaps a, a more mellowed old man. So, in <laughs> fact, you'd be quite happy to see uh, general practitioners uh, also prescribing. Oh, absolutely. Uh, some of the but things. But th- that's already that... happening. Yes. Okay. Not 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 at a large uh, amount, mm-hmm. but it's already happening. Mm. And uh, one of the things I wanted us to discuss today, and I'm just about out of time, is does um, complementary pose any threat to the general practitioner? Definitely not. The mm. general practitioner remains the backbone of our medical system, and I look for the day when uh, the medical practitioner will be able to happily refer on where he or she thinks there is a need for that. But the moment we denigrate the general practitioner, we do a great disservice to modern Western medicine because they are the backbone of our society. Where would we be without them? And, of course, the specialists they've got of course, uh, in of touch course, as, of as the network. Never fall into the trap of thinking that the alternative uh, exists. It doesn't. Now, Dennis, we've just got Ken, who's rung in from Lochinvar. We've just got a minute and a bit before uh, we need to go, but, Ken, you've got some arthritis in the wrist. That's, and, yes? that, that's correct, yes. Uh, I was just wondering whether there's foods that I should avoid. I've been down the path of operations on my wrist. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's just not working. We haven't got much time, but if you can Google Colin Dong's arthritis diet, Colin Colin Dong, Dr. Dong, Colin Dong, an American doctor who reversed his rheumatoid arthritis by developing a particular diet. It became known as Dr. Dong's diet. There was a book written on the, uh, on the, the diet and two British ladies, uh, Mary Lava and Margaret Smith, wrote a book on the diet called Diet for Life. If you can get yeah. hold of that, that's a good starting base to look perhaps at the way in which certain foods can affect right your here. condition. Again. Right, yeah. Okay. Oh, is there any, oh, go on. Uh, yes. Is there any, any uh, vitamins or minerals that I could take that yes. would help that? Well, I believe there are. Uh, time beats me, but there are a range of products produced by Blackmores known as celloids. They're practitioner products, they're not retail products. You should seek out a naturopath, a doctor, a pharmacist or a herbalist that uses celloids that are based on minerals. And that sounds like a good path to go. All the very best with that, Ken. And that is Health Naturally for today on 2NURFM. Thank you, Dennis Stewart. Yeah, we covered a lot of good ground there. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.